Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi guys, no, 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 no. Yes, I did that. And you would do it too for a check. Hey, what is this? A face? What is this? A book? Oh my god. Facebook. I get Welcome to Don't Let This Flop, a podcast about internet culture brought to you by Rolling Stone. Where two smart people talk about the dumbest shit that happened online this week. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm EJ Dixon. This is BBC News. We're interrupting our schedules for the following announcement. Buckingham Palace has announced the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. So Queen Elizabeth died on Thursday at age 96 at Balmoral Castle in the Scottish Highlands, surrounded by her family, including her pedo son, Prince Andrew. She reigned for over 70 years, making her one of the longest reigning monarchs. So good for her. So the Queen's death day went exactly as the firm had long planned and also very similar to the way that a lot of previous monarch deaths in the UK have gone. There was a viral 2017 Guardian article that was circulating over the course of the day that outlined exactly what would go down and how it would change and adjust to the age of the internet and TV as opposed to the last time a monarch died, which was like over 70 years ago. So it included a few concerning but very, not very informational palace bulletins that were tweeted out about her being unwell. When George V died, he was injected with a combo of morphine and cocaine so that his death was quick and painless. I wonder if Miss Lizzie got the same cocktail. No one's confirmed it for me. I've been begging for information on this, but I would like that confirmed. Is this protocol like whenever anybody, whenever a royal dies, they just do it, they just drug you up to the gills and they do it in like the most painless way possible? It's unclear. It seems like it was just George but like I feel like that's they should normalize that generally like yeah why gatekeep that yeah no I dying is hard from everything I've heard like that's the way I'm gonna go yeah I don't want anything else like as soon as anything happens like just hit me up with the old George V cocktail that they had going so unlike previous monarchs we have social media so as soon as the first bulletin of the day previewed what was to come the internet went crazy, absolutely buck wild. They are basically soft launching the queen's death. And it was, I mean, people were already reacting to it. She is one of the most recognizable figures in modern history with enough genocides and controversies to produce a deep, profound hatred for her and what she represents. Mixed with England and its territory's weird parasocial attachment to her as well, or as Paris Hilton called her, the original girl boss being a reason why she is also as beloved as she is hated, it made for a very strange mix of incredible memes and meme policing as well. I did sort of expect there to be more people like screaming at the people making memes. I think more people kind kind of were having fun with it than being sort of like, oh my God, this is the most devastating day of my life, except for the people who kept seeing her in the clouds. I don't know if you saw that. I did. It was real weird. A lot of people kept being like, I saw Queen Elizabeth in the clouds and the Daily Mail was like breathtaking. And it's like a picture of just some clouds. And they're like, it looks like her side profile. It's like, no, it doesn't. It looks like a cloud. It's weirdo behavior for sure. It's not even like offensive behavior so much as it's just like weirdo behavior. Why is Queen Elizabeth coming to the English countryside to visit you? Like... Like, what's up with that? She wouldn't have even let you pet her inbred corgi. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. 
But British people are weird. I mean, I, I don't know. You have more of like a Rolodex of British friends than I do, I think. Because you're always talking about like all the British people you know. I know like one British person. I know a lot of British people, like a shocking amount. So what is your shocking amount of British friends? Like, how do they feel about the Queen? I think the majority of them kind of, they didn't care. Like they were just, and I mean, a good portion of them are like, I know, they just have never agreed with the monarchy and don't really care for what it stands for and think it needs to be taken down. I have like a couple of friends who have that sort of like affinity for her in a figurehead sense where they, and it's also just like that familiarity of, of, of someone being a constant in your life in a certain place. And I feel like it was more so friends who don't live in the UK anymore. And we're kind of like, oh, that's kind of like weird to see that happen from afar. I guess I get it. They had like a brief, more emotional reaction than they thought they would have, but it passed very quickly. What's your condolence protocol? Like for a couple of days, I was leading off all my emails and DMs to my British friends being like, hey, sorry about your queen. Did you do that? No, I was sending them some of the horrific memes I was seeing. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, isn't this funny? (laughs) I did ask one of my friends if he was feeling emotional about the queen because we were talking about something else. And then he sent me a photo of the commemorative cannabis that they were selling in the UK that had like the queen's face on it. And it was like, like lemon haze weed. And it was like the queen's face on this like weed packaging. And that was all he responded with. So I appreciated that. But I would say for the most part, a lot of them are pretty indifferent. And like, no one's reacting here as it goes. It's the same thing when presidents die, but she's obviously been around much longer. The issue comes up a lot with controversial figures, right? Like, when is it too soon to start joking about or even metaphorically speaking, dancing on their graves? And I feel like we talked about this a little bit. I feel like it's never too soon. I don't know if I would go on record saying it's never too soon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I did. Someone yeah, had to. Someone had to. I'm going to take a half step back. I feel like a lot of it was like, for example, there was a lot of articles that were being like, here's the queen's like long lasting relationship with Africa. And it was, and I was like, that's, it was not good. Like we're suffering because of her. Like, this is not, it's not a long lasting friendship that the continent has had with the queen. Like, it's just, she's been horrific in a lot of ways and led a lot of really terrible, changed the way of lives for a lot of colonies and a lot of people across the world who have, I think, very valid reasons to keep that in check and to have a little, like, they need to make jokes to kind of, like, deal with their shocking amount of anger with it. Like, I feel like that's very fair. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is I personally am too much of a pussy to do that. (laughs) I mean, I have no stake in it. I wasn't really, like, making a lot of memes about it. I was just retweeting them. I thought some of them were funny. My favorite were the Be Real edits. The app Be Real, if you are listening and you do not have it, I only recently learned about it, where you get a notification every single day and you have to take a picture of what you're doing and the camera is like both it looks like a facetime screenshot almost where in like the small camera it's like either the person taking the picture and then the bigger picture is what you're taking a picture of and a lot of them were like the queen and it was her in hell with like her husband and margaret thatcher and ronald reagan <laughs> those are pretty funny there is of course the trisha paytas of it all oh my god <laughs> she announced that she was one centimeter dilated before we knew officially that the queen was dead right like there was a how many it was like about like a good several hours before they between the first palace bulletin and the official announcement that she had died because i think they were waiting for everyone to get there before they gave her i assume the cocaine and morphine <laughs> cocktail yeah but there was a few hours in between and in between that Trisha Paytas announced that she was one centimeter dilated. So, of course, there was many memes, uh, countless memes of the idea that Trisha Paytas is, was going to give birth to the reincarnated 
Queen of England. I love that. That was amazing. Me too. And then she had to apologize for not having given birth to the reincarnated Queen of England. She had to respond several times to being like, this is not, I did not give birth and it is not Queen Elizabeth's in my belly. And she's like, I'm sorry to the royal family. I'm sorry to the royal family that everybody's so fucking brain poisoned that this is what everybody was saying on the internet. My favorite tweet about it was someone wrote Queen Elizabeth on her way to Trisha Paytas' hospital room and the video attached to it was Madonna's Ray of Light video. And then someone quote tweeted it and was like, imagine trying to explain this to someone 20 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think a single member of the royal family knows who Trisha Paytas is? A single member? No, I don't even think Meghan Markle would know who she is. I feel like Meghan Markle was already in before Trisha Paytas became a thing. And I don't think she was online like that. Yeah, I kind of think if anybody, Harry would know. If anybody. I don't think Harry has no idea what's going on online. You don't think Harry's like secretly online? I don't think they exist in a timeline of the world where they understand that the internet exists. I would love someone to explain to either Prince Harry or Prince William what TikTok is. And I would love to be there for it. I would love to be the person to explain to them. I would love to show them a video I saw the other day that was like Prince William glowed down while King Charles glowed up. And it was over Freaky Girl by Nicki Minaj. I would love to show that to them. It freaks me out to think of Prince Harry opening his iPhone and checking Twitter. I mean, yes, it is kind of like beyond the realm of human comprehension that either of those two opened Twitter and saw the memes about their grandmother like floating into Trisha Paytas's body. Like that is somewhat beyond me. I'd love that to happen. I would personally love to be proven wrong. But simply that image is something that is making my brain break. <laughs> of course, everyone's also worried about the corgis that you mentioned because queen elizabeth did not want she did not want the corgis to outlive her her several corgis like she stopped having them bred after a while so that she didn't have corgis outliving her which is like such a a weird request like if i'm not here you can't be here her terra corgis every day they're fucking weirdos honestly like we make fun (laughs) of like inbred people in west virginia all the time like living in a cabin and like having sex with each other and having no teeth these people are just as weird i'm sorry that is a weird thing to do i mean they're also inbred she was married to her cousin they're all cousins centuries of being inbred led to not wanting your corgis to be living longer than you The Irish had a great time with us. The Irish partied all night. I loved people were opening the Snapchat map where you can kind of go to different cities around the world and look at what people are posting to their Snap stories publicly. And every time they opened them in Dublin, people were partying hard everywhere. People had like little signs that were like, Lizzie's dead. Like the people in Ireland were having a ball. It was a very, very exciting night in Dublin and all across the Republic of Ireland. Of course, there is also the inner politics. If you've followed the royals at all, I mean, even if you haven't followed the royals, you definitely know about all the controversies with Meghan Markle and her relationship with the family. Of course, the British tabloids have been really, really cruel to her to the point where her and Harry separated themselves from the royal family and moved to California in a house that I think Tyler Perry like bought for them or like found for them. Anyway, So a lot of the defenders were joking about what it's like to see her biggest hater die. But it was also mostly to offset a lot of the tabloid's obsession that day with her not being present at Balmoral, while Kate was also not present at Balmoral. It was very typical British tabloid stuff. Honestly, I think it was one of the best days possible 
for jokes online. I thought it was a deeply hilarious day. I was having a good time in the group chats. It was a very funny day. My parents came over. I felt very much like that scene in the newsroom where Thomas Sadowski like breaks the news that we killed Osama bin Laden to the pilot on the plane. You know, that terrible scene. Like, that's how I felt. I was like, I have to inform you that Queen Elizabeth died. And that's how we report the news. (laughs) We work for Atlantis Cable News. And we wanted you and your first officer and flight attendant crazy lady to be the first ones on this plane to know that our armed forces killed Osama bin Laden for you tonight. You're serious? In one of my group chats, he had said something like a few days before she died where he was like saying, like, I'm pretty sure there was like the viral photo of her with Liz Truss, the new prime minister, and her hands were like really, really purple. And people were pointing out how like, like they were really worried about her. This had happened just a couple days before she died. And Rex had been like, I'm pretty sure like this is like the end. Like this is probably the last photo we're going to see of Queen Elizabeth. But Rex was on a plane the entire time oh, that wow. this stuff was happening, literally got off the plane right before the announcement came that she died. So we had to change the group chat name to be like Rex Queen Elizabeth might be dying <laughs> so that he saw it first before anyone else, before anything else. <laughs> we had to change the name to make sure he saw what was happening and he was off the plane before it happened. So Rex was able to see and witness it in real time after his prediction. Those are the like only benefits of being super online is that you know the news before Anybody else does. And you also like are poisoned enough in your mind that you send everybody the good memes about it. (laughs) We have a royal double header today. So our next segment is about the new king. If you want to get into it, EJ. I feel like we're going to get into a fight about it. I'm a little nervous. (laughs) I think we're on the same page with this. We've talked about this. Okay, good. I'm glad we're on the same page. I'm glad. Well, get into it. I'm now worried about if your opinion has changed or if (laughs) something new will arise from it. No, 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 no. I don't think so. I think we're probably going to be on this. I'm just yeah. in the back of my mind. There's like a glimmer that we might have a fight or that whatever. Or some British people are going to get mad, but it's fine. If our British listeners didn't get mad about us talking about the Queen's musty pussy like months ago, <laughs> they're not going to get mad about this. Dead people. So this week in Straight People, where we talk about the exploits of heterosexuals across the internet, we're going to talk about the two most important straight people in the world right now, which is King Charles III and Camilla, his queen consort. Weird to say King Charles. He's probably been saying it in the mirror for 50 years. He probably loves saying it. Nobody else loves saying it. Oh, yeah. Nobody else cares. Charles just became king. Camilla became the queen consort. That basically means she's queen, but not technically in the line of succession. So that's why they're important. But they're also important because this audio from when Charles and Camilla had phone sex, which is, if you've never heard it before, the most uncomfortable thing you're going to hear all week is all over TikTok right now. I can't bear a Sunday night without you. Oh, God. I fill up your tank. Yes, you do. Because I need you several times a week. So do I. I need you all the week. All the time. Honestly, like, before we start... So this is my take. I told you my parents came over because like they were coming to help with baby stuff. And then I broke the news newsroom style to them of Queen Elizabeth dying. And they were all very impressed. But we were started talking about Charles and Camilla. And she was like, I think they're a love story for the ages. I think they're perfect for each other. They're so in love. Like, I'm really happy for them. And I thought about it and I was like, you know what? She's absolutely right. They are a love story for the ages. I'm on the same page. So my turning point with Camilla was actually Diana the Musical when I saw it on Broadway. (laughs) 
in December. And honestly, it made me deeply empathetic to her because I didn't also know that much about her. Like, I'm always going to be Princess Di till like, I'm a ride or die for Princess Di. Like, love her. I think she got, like, a very shitty situation with the firm and with the queen and everyone. Like, it was just bad all around. But, like, she did not want to be with Charles that much. He wasn't that interested. Like, they just kind of were stuck together because it looked good. Like, it's hard to not be endeared to them after seeing their sexy phone call transcript. Like, it's like, okay, you found each other and that's nice. I'm glad you have this weird, gross relationship with each other that seems to be also deeply horny. Every pot needs a lid. That's what my grandmother always used to say. Every pot has its own lid and they're each other's lids. I mean, let's explain the context, I guess, a little for people who, like are unaware. Charles and Camilla met in the early 1970s, way before he ever met Diana. They were briefly involved. I learned about this from reading Tina Brown's book about the Royals, which I strongly recommend. It's highly entertaining. I learned this from Diana the Musical, a Broadway flop. (laughs) (laughs) They hit it off immediately for reasons that largely have to do from what I can tell with how boring they both are. Yeah, they seem to have the same dumb interests. Yeah, they love horseback riding and water polo and hunting, which I think all three of those interests are qualified as Absolutely awful, but at least they seem to be both freaks <laughs> in a sexy way, but also in the boring way. <laughs> There are a lot of people who like to talk sources close to the royal family. Like there are a lot of people going to the tablets talking about how much they love to fuck each other. Charles and Camilla, which I love. That makes me root for them them more. They clearly have like amazing sex. And Charles and Diana, like for everything that you would say about Diana, that she was lovely. She was a vision. She was an ephemeral totem of womanhood or whatever. I don't think she really laid it down, honestly. I don't know. I don't get that vibe. She didn't like Charles that much. Yeah, they didn't like each other. More to the point, they didn't like each other. They weren't into each other. Like, of course, she. it wasn't going to be fun for either of them. It was strictly sex for procreational purposes. Yeah, there's an anecdote that I read where they were like betrothed or whatever. And she told her friend, like, I cannot stand talking to Charles because all he wants to do is talk about environmentalism and like growing mushrooms. And she didn't want to, and she didn't want to talk about it. She was like a hot 20 year old. Like, why would you want to talk about that? According to the Tina Brown books, is it true? And again, I'm going off of Diana the Musical, a Broadway flop. But is it true that Camilla was the one that suggested to Charles that he marry Diana? There was a whole scene a musical number, if you will, dedicated to that concept. In Diana the Musical, uh, a royal flop. Is that what we're calling it? A royal flop? I like royal flop more than Broadway flop, which is what I've been calling it. So let's switch to royal flop. So I don't know if Diana the Musical or royal flop is accurate in that regard, but she definitely like advised him on his marriage to Diana and how to navigate like her mental health difficulties and things like that. But, and she did it poorly, I'm imagining. So they broke up after Charles had to go serve in the Royal Navy. It's unclear why there have been a few reasons cited. I mean, the most compelling to me is that the Queen Mother did not approve of the match. She wanted Charles to marry a Spencer sister instead. That was also in Diana the Musical, a royal flop. I'm just fact checking with. (laughs) The Queen Mother did not approve of the match. Basically, yeah, they insinuate that it was not approved. Yes. Right after they broke up, she actually got married. She marries Andrew Parker Bowles instead, who's like a famous fuck boy. He'd actually dated Princess Anne. It was not a happy marriage because he cheated on her constantly, as fuck boys do. And she ended up rekindling her romantic relationship with Charles. It's unclear when. He says 1986. I've seen other sources say the early 1980s, shortly before he became engaged to Princess Diana. I don't know what Diana, the musical or royal flop, says, which I'm fact-checking all of this against now. Apparently, what is their timeline? I don't remember if they gave, like, an actual date. Like, they basically introduced it while we were already deep in them. They had to condense. It's a musical. It only had two and a half hours. They didn't get into the weeds of the timeline, but they were hooking up. Everybody knew about this, and everybody was cool with this, except 
for Diana, apparently. And she confronted Camilla about the affair in 1989. She basically directly blames Camilla for the demise of the marriage, right? Like she told Martin Bashir in that famous and very controversial interview, there were three of us in the marriage, so it was a bit crowded. And then Charles and Diana officially separate in 1992. And the public doesn't actually find out about the affair between Charles and Camilla until that year, because that's when Andrew Morton's book, Diana, A True Story, is released, which I guess is the source material for Diana, the musical, a royal flop. They should have just called it that. They should have considered. That is how Charles and Camilla became known to the general public. And a year later, a transcript of a phone call between Charles and Camilla was released by tabloids. That's how he's going to go down in history forever, because there's a rumor that goes around that says that in these tapes, Charles claims that he wanted to be Camilla's tampon. This is like a very famous urban legend. It circulated after the queen died. It's actually not exactly what he says in the tape. He says, we can do a reading of this if you want. He says, oh God, I'll just live inside your trousers or something. It would be much easier. What are you going to turn into? A pair of knickers? Oh, you're going to come back as a pair of knickers? Or God forbid, a Tampax. Just my luck. He's dreading the idea of becoming the Tampax, to be clear. Then they joke back and forth about like whether he's going to be a single tampon or a box of Tampax. So it's like indisputably, again, going back to how British people are weird. It's gross. It's weird. They're weirdos, but it's not as weird and gross as like previously thought. It's just normal standard couple gross. Like it's just like no one wants their private sexy conversations with their partner released or transcribed ever. I think in a different time, this could have humanized them. In a way, if Diana had not been such a beloved figure, if it had not been the early 90s, like I think that this could have been a humanizing moment, but that's not how it went down. People were grossed out. It's hard to overemphasize exactly how much people hated Charles, hated Camilla, like arguably more than Charles. She was subject to absolutely appalling criticism about her physical appearance in particular. I wasn't conscious in the 90s in terms of like remembering all this stuff like happening as it was happening. But I do recall like being sort of like a tabloid reading child in the early 2000s. Like whenever they'd write about the royals, it very much focused on Camilla and like how ugly she was and all that. So there's a lot of it was ongoing for many years. Like it was like it didn't end just because Diana died or people had moved on or anything like it just kind of persisted even when that was out of the collective kind of cultural conversation. Yeah. And it's persisted to this day to some degree. A lot of this was because people love Princess Di so much. She was so glamorous. She was so beautiful. She was the people's princess, whereas Camilla was older. She was more like overtly aristocratic. She liked to do things like horseback ride. She apparently liked mushrooms as much as Charles did. I don't know. So she wasn't like she was a much less sexy option. And to be clear, like it absolutely some of this was absolutely absolutely justified because, it, I mean, it seems pretty clear that Charles and Camilla treated Diana horribly by carrying on so flagrantly in front of her. But it also seems like they were put in a very bad position from the get-go, too, because they wanted to be together and they couldn't be. It's all bad. It sounds like it's like a situation that's not messy by accident. Like, it's like there are elements that have had made it sort of a horrible and messy situation out of their control. When I was writing this, did you ever see Aida, the show? No. <laughs> well, there's a song called Written in the Stars about two lovers separated by time and circumstance. And I was playing it and feeling very emotional, like <laughs> deeply in my feelings while I was writing this. I'm excited for you to write the <laughs> Charles and Camilla love story musical. But yeah, I mean, it's important to note like just how incompatible Charles and Diana were from the very beginning and just how compatible Charles and Camilla seem to have been. I mean, after Charles and Diana get divorced in 19, in the mid 1990s, 
Charles was like very slow to introduce their relationship to the public, especially after Diana died in 1997. Public sympathies were just like so against the firm that everybody was just like, holy shit, like, no, you guys cannot come forward now. They eventually did get married in 2005 and the queen didn't attend the wedding because she was a piece of shit and she was reportedly absolutely humiliated by the relationship. But right before the queen croaked at her platinum jubilee, she officially gives Camilla the title of queen consort, which sort of gives her, it was a very significant moment. Like it gave her this respectability that the firm and the British public had always denied her. And... Anyway, I stand. I like her. I respect a hoe who plays the long game. This is only semi-related. Have you seen the pictures of Charles's hands? Yes, just today. The sausage fingers? Yeah, it's haunting. Haunting. I just wanted to bring that up. I don't know why I brought it up. It just came in my head. <laughs> Can't even recommend anyone to look that up. Like, it's so disgusting. It is hard to imagine that they have a vigorous, let alone active, sex life with those fingers. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she's into it. What are we going to do? Kink shame them now? Like, we've already just celebrated their sexy conversation. Like... Uh, whatever. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> We're celebrating them. <laughs> like, we can't turn back now and be like, actually, they never have sex. I just think it's beautiful when two terrible people find each other and fall in love. I just like that. It warms my heart. Speaking of terrible people, should we get into theater kid bullshit? Yeah, I think we should. So welcome to Theater Could Bullshit, where me and EJ talk about the happenings in theater because we can and we want to. So last week, as you may recall, we talked a little bit about the lead up to Funny Girl, but last week involved the very big debut performance of Leah Michelle as Fanny Bryce in Funny Girl. So reviews weren't allowed, but the tweets and bootleg TikTok videos of her singing Don't Rain on My Parade had enough to say. Against many people's wishes, Leah kind of freaked it. She allegedly received several standing ovations, though it appears her best friend Jonathan Groff may have started all of them, so that doesn't really count, in my opinion. If your best friend starts a standing ovation, that's not a real standing ovation. That's unearned. That's your best friend. I start saying ovations for my friends finishing their meal. Like, I don't know. No, you don't. (laughs) No, but I mean, like, I would. I clap for everything. (laughs) So, on top of the Funny Girl shit show has been Jonathan Lewis, a.k.a. Sweaty Oracle, Jonathan first went viral with a video claiming that John Mulaney and Olivia Munn broke up and that led to people calling him Sweaty Oracle. But he has sort of become the demois of theater and of theater gossip. And he has been leading the way on the juiciest theater tea, everything from casting gossip to, of course, the goings on behind the scenes at Funny Girl. So we're super excited to be joined today by Sweaty Oracle to dish on Leah and other Broadway happenings. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. 
Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. So how did you become sort of like the Broadway version of Dumois? I've been lurking on Broadway world for like 15 years and just been gathering information. And then the great Patty Murin exodus of 2018 happened. You're going to have to explain what that is. Okay, so Patty Murin was an actress in Frozen. She played Anna originally when Frozen came to Broadway. And she didn't like anything about her being discussed on Broadway world. And I thought that was weird because I thought it was mild, whatever everybody was saying about her. Like there was a lot worse things people could be saying. It became this huge, giant thing where they banned like 20 of us who were longtime users from Broadway world. And we were like, that's fine. We'll start a discord. And this discord kind of became this weird industry hub where we all talk about what's going on. And then I kind of didn't like that. It was all kind of like rich theater kids who got to know this information because I don't come from money. I'm in South Carolina. I'm not one of the elite. And I was just like, well, I'm just going to start telling everybody. So where do you get your tips from and your info? Right. So it's built since the Instagram has built, but a lot of it originally came from a Discord that I'm in that has a lot of people who work for different theater publications and a lot of producing offices. And that I think we were the first people to know that Katrina Link was going to be Bobby and company because somebody was on the production team and leaked it to us. And same with Beanie and Funny Girl and the Sweeney Todd revival. But now since the TikTok has kind of blown up, I have sources from, I feel like I have a name in almost every Broadway theater who is giving me dirt about what's going on backstage. Have you ever worked in theater? Like, have you ever wanted to work in theater? Yeah, I did what every failed theater person did. I went to Disney World and became a Jungle Cruise skipper for a couple of years. Got super fired from Disney. I was telling X-rated jokes on the Jungle Cruise (laughs) and assassination jokes at the Hall of Presidents. And then I moved to the city and I worked at Sleep No More for a little bit, which I guess is like off-Broadway adjacent. And through there, just kind of started meeting people and then did a couple of regional theater shows and then tried to start my own theater in Asheville, North Carolina. And we did a production of Hedwig and the Angry Inch and that didn't really work. And then the pandemic happened and... Now we're here. <laughs> so you're based in South Carolina, whereas Dumois is based in New York and like a lot of like the gossip columnists are based in either New York or L.A. Like, do you consider that a tactical disadvantage? In a weird way, I think it's a tactical advantage because people who give me information see me as unassuming because I'm in South Carolina. And in a weird way, I think I get more information because I'm in South Carolina because people think I can't do as much harm. (laughs) Let's get to the funny girl stuff and all the rumors, conspiracy theories. First of all, why do you think this production has been so cursed? Because they didn't wait for Lady Gaga to open up her schedule to do it. That's where it started. So this production, originally they reached out to Gaga and they were never going to give her enough money to star in this production. Look at what the set looks like. They don't have anything close to Gaga money. 
money. And then Indina Menzel was going to do it for a long time. Articles came out. She was tweeting about it. And then something very, very quickly overnight changed. And all of a sudden it was this beanie. We're running with beanie. We're running with beanie. And I almost feel like at that moment was the moment the show could not get back on its feet. Because whether you like it or not, and I'm a beanie defender, I saw beanie. I did not think she deserved a third of what she got. Was she miscast? Possibly. But Sutton Foster is miscast in The Music Man. And there aren't a hundred threads about how her voice can't sing the score as written. And Beanie was at least trying to do the original keys. Sutton is down like half a step. But people are going to compare that role to Barbara Streisand, whether you like it or not. Like, no matter how you recontextualize the show, no matter if, like, Daniel Fish or Sam Gold or somebody came in and completely decided to reconstruct, deconstruct Funny Girl, you need somebody who can really handle that score like an expert. And the second that happened, I think they shot themselves in the foot. And then a recording came out of Beanie's dress rehearsal that I got. And I was like, oh, no. Like, oh, man, this because it really was a terrible recording. But it's her dress rehearsal. She's holding back for her first preview. It was unfair to judge. But that started circulating around really quickly. And I started to hear how the tide was turning against her. And my sources say Leah Michelle was involved very quickly. My sources say Leah Michelle smelt blood in the water around the time that the Spring Awakening concert was rehearsing and took Michael Mayer into a bar and was like, look, just if you need me, I'm here which is how those seeds started. So already you have competing fannies in the director's head right as the show is opening. It just became a clusterfuck so quickly. What was your immediate take and response when it was announced that Leah was assuming the role? So I heard about it. It was a weird week. I had a breakup, kind of moved into a friend's basement. And the night that's going on, someone texted me, Leah Michelle is replacing Beanie. And I thought they were kind of pulling my leg because the devil can't win, right? Like the devil can't win that hard. I thought they were pulling my leg so much. For the first week of it, I tweeted it on a private Twitter account I have. And I was like, this isn't true, but I'm hearing that Leah Michelle is going to be Fanny and Funny Girl. So my initial response was complete disbelief. And then the story started unraveling behind the scenes. And I was like, oh, my God, she did it. Let's talk about like one of my favorite conspiracy theories that has recently surfaced is everybody has seen on their For You page countless videos of opening night of her singing Don't Rain on My Parade. You've talked about this. Lots of conspiracy theories about the footage being recorded with the permission of the producers or crew to get buzz. Do you have any evidence to support that? So Six, the musical, right? Six, when it was on tour before Broadway and when it was in London, and I think on tour they can do it, they encourage the audience to film the Megamix, right? At the end of the show, there's like a big 10-minute Megamix of all the songs, and there's a lyric about pulling out your phones and your cameras and filming. When it came to Broadway, the Musicians Union and Equity fought tooth and nail for that not to happen. Tooth and and nail. And the creators and the musicians and the the cast were all being like, no, 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 we want this to happen. We're for it. We'll sign stuff. We'll bend over backwards. And equity and the musicians union would not let that 
happen. They are very strict about phones, incredibly strict about bootlegging. I have heard from, and this is an unverified blind from someone who says they know an usher at the August Wilson, which is where Funny Girl is, that the ushers were told not to do anything about phones until after intermission, which is why you have a POV from every seat of the theater of Leah Michelle singing Don't Rain on My Parade. Yeah, I think it was encouraged to grow social media hype. Of course, the show, especially after the reviews of Beanie came out and were kind of slamming a lot of her performance, the show was not doing as well as people had hoped. And I'm wondering, of course, there's all of the stories about the tickets selling out for Leah's first few weeks. Do you think this will have any impact, especially now that there is that kind of buzz from Don't Rain in My Parade on ticket sales for this show, but also on for Broadway in general? Is there people a little bit more interested in all this theater drama that are looking at attending more shows generally? I think in relation with Funny Girl, it's just not that good a production of Not A Good Show. There's a reason that Funny Girl wasn't done for 50 years. It has four good songs, and there's a reason you don't know all the rest of the songs or any of the other characters or anything else about it because it's not a good show. I mean, Beanie's first performances with a paying audience sounded like a fucking rock concert. People were losing their minds. The show was selling out. Everyone was going, it's not going to be a problem. People are going crazy in the theater for Beanie. I think the August Wilson is open for the spring. There's already a show circling it. So I think Funny Girl is over by the holiday season, by January. EJ and I talked about this a couple weeks ago on the podcast about if we think this will have any impact on Leah's career, because of course, even before the stories of how horrible she's been to people, her career was not doing very well. What do you think will happen with her career after this? Not much. I just don't think besides how mean she is, she's that interesting. Even when you compare Beanie's acting performances to Leah's, you're just like, oh, Beanie is an actress and is interesting, at least. Leah is not that interesting as an actress. Her singing is, she's already, I heard a bootleg from like her last performance before she got COVID. Her voice is already not holding. I don't think it does that much for her career. I think there's going to be like a month of everybody rabid to get in the funny girl to see this drama. And then it's done. Their advanced sales are not looking good past a month out. What did you make of like the immediate adulation on social media for her performance? Broadway. I mean, this is the same Broadway who refused to call out Scott Rudin, even when those articles came out. Broadway does not call out its abusers. Broadway does not call out its members who are racist. Broadway does not call out its members who perform gross acts of sexual assault, sometimes against minors. All of these stories are pretty public, open stories. There's dozens of them. Broadway protects and harbors those people. James Barber, who played the Phantom in Phantom of the Opera, after he he assaulted a child after he sexually assaulted a child, a child who is a well-known member of the Broadway and television community. Everyone in the community knows who this is, and they still let James Barber back on Broadway. I think Broadway does not care about abusers. Broadway only cares about how it can use those abusers to make money. And that's sad because at least the movie industry has pretended to care in the last recent years and has at least acted like they're doing something. Broadway has done nothing but sweep these stories under the rug. Why do you think that's exceptional to Broadway, though? I think because Broadway is a tight-knit, small group so that when you get in it, they're like, you're ours. We're family. They close the gates around themselves. In a way, the movie industry, people are just trying to get their next project and trying to politically weasel their way through that. Broadway kind of 
binds themselves together. I don't know why Broadway bands together like that, but I think a big reason of it is they're like this kind of fucked up family. This kind of inbred Southern pull out the shotguns when somebody comes up the driveway family. <laughs> I'm curious, based off of both tips that you're getting and also your own interest in everything surrounding this, like what is your prediction for the next year on Broadway? I feel like it's been in a weird space, especially with COVID, but also it seems like there's a lack of interest from younger audiences, a lack of accessibility to people in terms of being able to afford tickets. And also it's been a series of revivals and adaptations of movies that have lopped over the last few years. But I'm curious what you're predicting for the next year. Totally. Well, one of the things I really, really, really hope, but I feel like we're still a long way off, is that the Broadway bubble is popping and it's popping because there aren't like a thousand people per theater per night who have $200 a piece to sit and watch a show. Those numbers just don't exist like they used to. And I looked at the Sweeney Todd pre-sale and like just laughed to myself. And I was like, who's buying these? Who's spending $400? I mean, I guess if I had the money, it would be me. But more and more people are like me and they don't have the money anymore. I used to be able to see everything on Broadway. And now lottery seats are even $50. And I'm like, that's not really cheap. I think Broadway has like three more seasons where it can't quite figure it out. And then it bursts and it becomes the Broadway of the mid-1990s for a little bit, where there are a lot of empty theaters and there are a lot of shows that are only existing off-Broadway because it's just going to get too expensive to keep mounting shows. And it's like Broadway placates people who aren't in. Like, they'll produce a Jeremy O'Hara show and then not promote it. They'll do that with all these kind of up-and-coming artists, especially people of color artists, and it feels like a way to pat themselves on the back while doing the bare minimum. And in, in my opinion, there has to be a complete revolution on Broadway that, like, is separated from upper middle class white people who typically run it now. And until that happens, Broadway will continue to just raise prices and not understand why people aren't coming. Speaking of money, I have a $36 bet on one of your predictions, on one of your tips. Oh, oh what is it? <laughs> it's Sherry Renee Scott and Norbert Leo Butts coming in for The Baker and The Baker's Wife. Am I out $36? Because they extended till January, right? They have extended until January, and there are three scenarios okay, on okay. the table. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Brian Darcy James is coming back for a little bit as The Baker. I don't know when. I just know he's coming back. And they wanted him to be with Indina Menzel as the baker's wife. But Indina Menzel was like, I want to play the witch. And they were like, mm, you should be the baker's wife. And they went back and forth for a little bit. And now that's not happening. So I don't know who his baker's wife is. But I have heard that the closing cast is still going to be Shira Renee Scott, Norbert Leo Butts, and Heather Headley coming back as the witch. And they'll close it with that. And they still want to film it. But now there's an issue that the Into the Woods in London is being filmed. So who knows what happens with that? All right, Dan, former friend of the pod, if you're listening, I'm keeping my money for now. I think they're keeping the money. <laughs> I have one more funny girl tidbit, by the way, if you'd like me to share it. Really we quick. would love it. So I have heard from two cast members now, and I 100% trust these sources like 100% trust these sources, but still I'm saying allegedly that it is not Leah Michelle causing problems right now. It is Tova. And they have had to go to equity about Tova and that they've had to go to stage management about Tova. And that is going to be the interesting story that breaks in the next few weeks. 
You had also said something recently about Amber, too, who... Amber got fired from Moulin Rouge for bullying. I don't like her <laughs> vibes on TikTok. Her TikTok <laughs> vibes are off. I don't care for them. I won't even say alleged. That's what she did. It's so funny that this revival has been pro-brunette bullies of marginal talent. <laughs> because I don't think Amber or Leah Michelle offer anything, but I guess I'm more interested in, like, Elaine Stritches and, like, people with more original talents to give. I just feel like they have never done anything in their talent to earn behaving that way. Jonathan, you should probably briefly explain who Amber Nicole Ardolino is. So Amber was the understudy for Satine and Moulin Rouge who couldn't reach her high notes. And she took that out on everyone else backstage to the point where she was fired. And then I believe went on to Jagged Little Pill. She went instantly into another show and started gaining this huge following on TikTok. I think she's close to a million followers, if not over a million followers. And you can just look at her. You can look at someone's eye and go, oh, someone didn't love you correctly as a child. And like, it's just there. And I think it's funny. And I've also heard that she and Leah Michelle don't talk backstage, which is funny because snakes know snakes. Of course they don't. Oh, absolutely not. She was pretty shady about it. I mean, like, I mean, everyone was shady, but she was like, I was surprised at how publicly shady she was about all of the stuff going down on her TikTok when she was still in the show. She got caught walking through Times Square on the phone badly talking about Beanie Feldstein one night. And somebody I know just walked behind her and took it all in. She thinks she's the toast of Broadway right now. And I'm just like, three ensemble gigs does not make you the toast of Broadway, madam. She thinks something big is coming to her. And I think that something big is dinner theater. On that note... <laughs> <laughs> Damn. We can't thank you enough. We can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. This was so much fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. The answers can be found in the MTV video games. Welcome to Moral Panic, the segment where we talk about what a bunch of idiots are peeing in their diapers over this week. So as Rolling Stone's resident Disney adult, I have, of course, been absolutely glued to Twitter for updates from D23, the expo where the Disney company reveals its lineups for the parks and movies for the next few years. I mean, Brittany, do you have any questions about, like, in general, about what's coming up for the Disney company? I don't care, but I appreciate that you asked. Okay. <laughs> I cannot care less, but thank you. Have you been served the TikToks about the Muppet Christmas Carol reunion? Literally didn't even know that was happening. They brought in the puppets and they brought in the puppeteers and they had a reunion. I got so many videos. It was like Leah Michelle's funny girl debut for Sad Virgins. <laughs> That was not on mine. I'm sorry. By far the biggest news to come out of D23 is the Little Mermaid trailer starring Halle Bailey as Ariel. Now, I am not a fan of live action reboots on the whole. I think they are terrible. Please ask me what I think, for instance, about Lorraine Bracco's performance as a seagull in the recent reboot of Pinocchio. I is this, the Pino is this the Pinocchio with Polly Shore? No, this is the competing Pinocchio. The one I don't care about. There, yeah, so you <laughs> care about the Polly Shore Pinocchio, but you don't care about the competing yeah. Pinocchio. Yeah. <laughs> Father, when can I leave to be on my own? I've got the whole world to see. Yeah, this is the competing Pinocchio with Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Jiminy Cricket and Tom Hanks as Geppetto. God, okay. Yeah, I'm not going to be seeing that. But Did this come out already? Yeah, I watch every Disney Plus release when it comes what? out the okay, day of. But like, who was begging for a Pinocchio? live at like that's like the most forgettable disney movie in my opinion i completely agree with you i completely agree with you i wasn't like in bed and just like in a wake up in a cold sweat and was like i need joseph gordon levitt to play i forgot who he played already but like jiminy cricket <laughs> yes <laughs> 
forgettable forgettable i mean i'm glad you weren't because you would have been really disappointed if you were (laughs) so but i mean this particular reboot i have to say it looks amazing it is visually stunning the cast is really great most importantly miss hallie looks amazing and she sings the shit out of part of your world in the teaser she sounds great out of the sea Wish I could be I'm a huge fan of Hallie and her sister Chloe. I've been, I interviewed them like many years ago when they first burst on the scene. They're so talented. I mean, just like genuinely great songwriters. Also, they've done a little bit of acting before. They did like, they have done a lot of stuff together, both Hallie and her sister Chloe. Like they would show up in TV shows together and they were only releasing music together. And so it's been very exciting to to see them branch out in their own ways. And I think she looks like she's going to be absolutely brilliant in this. They're Beyonce's protégés. I don't know a lot about them. But I do know people were very skeptical from the get-go about her taking on this role. I wasn't. (laughs) You're not a Disney Disney nerd. You're not a Disney nerd. This is not even just Disney thing, right? This is just like intense fandom thing. Like people have very attached. They have a lot of attachment issues with specific forms of media. I mean, look at the way that people reacted to a lot of casting in the more recent Star Wars movies and TV shows. People get really sensitive about this stuff, especially when you have an already established fictional character who looks a certain way in certain things. And then is like people behind it are like, we don't have to attach the way that the person looks in the comic book or in the cartoon film to be what they look like when we cast it in a different time. Like, that's just stupid. There's no reason for that. Yeah, I do think it is a little more of a thing with Disney stuff just because people have such an intense, like, childhood emotional reaction to it. And also because it's typically thought of as a conservative company. We've talked about that in the past. Like, there was a great deal of, like, moral panic about Disney and its involvement in the Don't Say Gay bill, which they eventually backtracked on. And that led to the right basically accusing them of being Satanists, which was a very normal reaction. And I do think that people have their hackles up like a little bit for Disney. But yeah, I mean, it is a general fandom thing. Like, I mean, it's the Ghostbusters reboot all over again. Like, it's just the same conversation over and over again. Because almost immediately after this casting was announced from the very beginning, people just got really weird about a black woman playing Ariel. Like, some very normal and well-adjusted 35-year-olds started using the hashtag NotMyArial to complain about Disney being overly woke as if, like, there's some sort of sanctity involved in the casting of, like, a busty 16-year-old mermaid with no legs. It is really the embodiment of that one meme of the sim at the computer and their babies on fire next to them. <laughs> yeah. Like these are all these, this is how I picture all of their households. Like they're all like tweeting viciously. Like I hate that Ariel's black hashtag, not my Ariel and their kids like on fire next to them. Yeah. I think that's pretty <laughs> accurate. <laughs> Here's a representative tweet. Not my Ariel at Disney studios. I'm going to summon up my acting training. Yeah. Do your most Karen voice that you can do. Any reason why everything has to be black. Are you starting to realize people are fed up and frankly, bored, you do realize this is doing the opposite with racism, yeah? I bet you that the Hercules actor and Meg will be black. Hashtag go woke, go broke. Zendaya would be a really good Meg, by the way. 
they should consider that. I mean, I think that Meg is canonically bisexual and Jewish, but I'm flexible on yeah. that. I don't want to be like these people and like hew to my own <laughs> image of like what a stupid Disney princess should be. But yeah, I mean, the argument, if there can be said to be one, is that The Little Mermaid is based on a Danish fairy tale, specifically Hans Christian Andersen's Little Mermaid. So to not cast a Danish looking which I think we all know what that means, woman would be deviating from the source material. But I I looked up the Wikipedia entry for Hans Christian Andersen's Little Mermaid. I didn't do any reading beyond that because I, there's no need. So basically the story is Ariel cuts out her tongue in exchange for feet that bleed constantly when she's on land. And also her skin is green. And it ends with Prince Eric marrying a princess from a neighboring country. And she's about, she's standing over the bed. She's got a dagger and she's about to stab him and his new wife. But she doesn't. She can't bring herself to do it. So instead she dies. She dissolves into sea foam and she descends into heaven. This is not the, I've seen The Little Mermaid many times. This is not the plot of the movie. That is a movie I do want to watch though. Oh yeah, it sounds good. It sounds like an A24 movie. It sounds like I would love to watch that A24 yeah, absolutely. movie. But that's not the movie. So like, why is everyone okay with Disney deviating from the source material there? Yeah, I mean, I it's know. not much deeper than being racist at this point. It's literally just it. Like every single person, they just don't feel comfortable with it. But like, I'm very excited for it. I think like, she sounds amazing. She looks amazing. It's very cool. I love it. It might actually yeah, be good looks- as opposed to the other live action movies. Like it looks like it might actually be really good. Yeah, I think it'll be amazing. And And it's been amazing to see all these TikToks of little black girls who are watching the teaser trailer and they're seeing her crushing it on screen. And they're just like, it's they're so deeply moved. Like, I don't understand how you could be a human being and not watch that and not be moved by that. Literally every single time I see one of those videos. And that's what I've been getting a lot of is like the reaction videos. I've cried. Like, it just makes me tear up. It's so beautiful. I, I think she's round. I'm very excited for this movie to come out. I'm going to go It's so beautiful. Again. It's so important. I mean, she's. this is going to be the first black Disney princess. There's only been one. There's only been one in the history, and that's Tiana from Princess and the Frog, which is a great movie, but there's only been one, and this is so significant. I think we should be able to have representation for our Disney princesses. Like, I feel like that's so important. These are movies and tales that are like very much a part of the fabric of our pop cultural experiences, and why can't young Black women feel themselves reflected in them and see themselves in versions of these? Oh. This will be a very powerful moment, and I'm very excited for it to come. Welcome to Himba of the Week, a celebration of our favorite head empty hotties. We have to talk this week about Martha Stewart, the homemaker turned white collar criminal who has since reinvented herself as an even more famous and even less bullshit giving incarnation of her former self, seems to be exploring hornier pastures. Oh, hi there. I'm just enjoying the natural flavor of pumpkin spice from Green Mountain Coffee Roasters. And nothing else, literally. Just look at this, a thing of natural beauty. No, 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 not me. My Green Mountain Coffee Roasters pumpkin spice coffee. She posted an ad on Instagram for a partnership with Green Mountain Coffee. In the ad, she's wearing an apron and quite literally nothing else. And I just want to point out that her skin looks so silky smooth that I believe for approximately 10 seconds, 
that she was just wearing like a flesh toned shirt before they zoomed out. And I was like, oh, she's just fully naked. Good for her. And the ad's theme is hashtag fall natural. And she's promoting some pumpkin spice coffee or whatever. Who cares? Martha Stewart looks hot as hell. As hot as the hell where Queen Elizabeth is resting. So I don't know if you noticed EJ, but Martha seems to be on a bit of a horny journey of late over the last couple of years. And it makes me wonder and hope that she's getting laid. I hope that for her. I want that for her. It seems like she's not based off some of the interviews that she said that she's not really dating. So I feel like she's using Instagram the way that Instagram should be used, which is to attract people that you want to bone. She's like really the only reason to use Instagram. She posted a lot of thirst traps on Instagram in the past, including a very iconic image of herself seductively pouting in a pool. I'm sure you remember this image from a couple of years ago. Burned in my brain. Burned in my brain, baby. It's hot. Good for her. She wouldn't shut up about how lovely Pete Davidson is. She posted like a lot about him and in a picture with him and Kim is like gripping onto his hand. She hung out with none other than Young Gravy at the Kentucky Derby. I mean, we all know what that means. The ultimate MILF. She's the ultimate MILF. She's the ultimate MILF. Brendan Fraser is like patient zero of himbos and Martha Stewart is like patient zero of MILFs. She recently shared a throwback of her posing naked in a shell for Spy Magazine. Didn't know that existed, but she was very excited to reshare this with the world. And of course, she also said she's waiting for her friends to die so she could pounce on their husbands. And I respect that. I think whatever you need to do. It wasn't in a malicious way. It's like how Camilla was playing the whole long game. It's exactly the same thing. There's no difference. She's being upfront. Like, at least there's a plan in place. And at least her friends know that their husbands, when after they die, will be with Martha Stewart, which is like a nice thing to want. I mean, I think it's great that we're platforming like old people being freaks today. Yeah, I'm glad we're celebrating this because I feel like it's not celebrated enough. I'm proud of us. Yeah, I'm really proud Honestly, of us. Honestly, more than anything else. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, nothing but respect for our two himbo and horny queen consorts, Martha Stewart and Camilla. Hold on, you were scrolling for way too long now. Maybe you should get some food, get some water, and then come back later. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Don't Let This Flop. Please share this podcast with someone you love or someone you hate. Either way, we don't care which one. This podcast is brought to you by Rolling Stone and Cumulus Podcast Network, written and hosted by me, EJ Dixon, and Brittany Spanos. Executive produced by Jason Fine, Bridget Shelsey, and Elizabeth Garber-Paul, and produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian DeMeglio. 